Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. I'm so thankful that you're here today. It's just always a pleasure to have you here. Many of you heard my story in uh, spring of 2020 when my mother-in-law had a heart attack and we were unable to see her in the hospital. We've talked about this several times since then. Today, I have a very special guest on the show who had a similar situation, and uh, he has turned his anguish into activism. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. I'm Heidi St. John, Republican for Congress against Jamie Herrera Butler, who voted to impeach President Trump, and I need your help to win. Go to HeidiStJohnForCongress.com and join my team today because freedom is worth fighting for. So before I get going today, I want to remind you guys a couple of things that are coming up on my calendar. If you want to know where what, what is happening with me, please go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash event. I'm going to be traveling to Godspeak Calvary Chapel. I will be there on the 2nd and the 3rd for their women's tea, and I'm very, very excited about that. You guys can get your tickets uh, by going to the show notes today. Also, want to remind you that I will be then traveling to Calvary Chapel Chattanooga to speak for their Christmas tea, just hitting all my favorite people right before Christmas. So come on out, say hello. And uh, I just cannot wait to hug your neck and see what God is doing. If you guys are interested in the brand new Bible study that we are doing at MomStrong International, you can go to momstronginternational.com, sign up ahead of time and get ready to study Advent with us. Uh, This is a really important opportunity for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and focus it on Jesus, who really is our hope. And you guys, your kids need to know that. Uh, They need to know it because they hear the stress in your voice. They hear it in my voice. Uh, This has been a rough couple of years, and Jesus is our hope. And we're going to turn our eyes uh, toward heaven and study Advent for the month of December. And we'd love to have you guys join us at MomStrongInternational.com. All right, without further ado, I want to introduce my friend Steve Ryder to you. Uh, I met Steve in 2010 when I traveled to Colorado to participate in uh, a radio interview with my friend Dr. James Dobson. And uh, Steve has had just, he's been on an incredible journey in the last several months. And uh, he reached out to me and told me what was going on with him. And I am just so honored to have him here and to, and to share really the story. It's a, it's a heartbreaking story that I think I can see God using. And so I wanted him to share that with you. Steve Ryder, my friend, welcome to the show. Heidi, thank you so much. You and Jay are very special people. Well, thank you. Well, likewise, it's good to see your face again. I I love uh, how God does that, right? Yes. Yeah. He's, it's It's been a while since we've talked, but it's good to yeah. see you as well. Yeah. And you guys are still, you're still out there in Colorado, out there still in God's in the, country. Still in the Colorado Springs area. Um, same home that I've lived in for the last t- 20 years now. And mm. uh, the home that my late wife and I built 20 years ago. Wow, that's amazing. And how many, how old are your kids now? My boys, Matthew and Caleb, are 17 and 15, and uh, wow. they're great kids. They're really, wow. really special boys. That's wonderful. Well, I want to jump right into this because yeah. you uh, you have a heartbreaking story, really, uh, that has a, its direct fallout from the terrible, and even I would say, and I've been saying this on my podcast for two years now, the criminal way mm-hmm. that we have approached 
this virus and uh, and the fallout from it, the families that are affected, a lot of people now losing their jobs, of course, over these unconstitutional vaccine mandates and so many things. It, it seems like this this ball started out, you know, at the top of a hill and snowballed and just keeps getting more bizarre and more bizarre and more bizarre. But in the meantime, the human toll yeah. is very, very real. And you guys have been directly impacted. So uh, why don't you go ahead and just introduce listeners to you and to your wife and a little bit of backstory. And let's talk about uh, what happened and, and how you got here. Yeah. So um, I worked for Dr. James Dobson for almost 15 years. Um, I worked my way up through the ranks at Focus, became his chief audio engineer. And then uh, we were inducted to the National Radio Hall of Fame in 2008. And it was an incredible honor. We beat out Howard Stern and Dr. Laura. <laughs> no, was, man, I got to tell you, not, you guys deserve that, too. I was, was telling I was telling Jay, I just, you know, I told you I was in Colorado Springs yeah. just, a little, just shortly in Willow Wild. And I saw Dr. Dobson and still one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I, I love him. He's man. just a rare individual. I love the man. He, he's mm. he's such a special guy. Mm. My, my, my favorite Dr. Dobson story I love to tell. I'll tell it really quick. <laughs> it was probably 2008, 2009 when, um, I, when we didn't get enough stuff done here in Colorado Springs. Doc would uh, often retreat for the holidays to his two-bedroom condo in Palm Desert. And so when we didn't get enough stuff done, shows, opens and closes, record in Colorado Springs, John Fuller and I would fly out to Palm Desert and record the opens and closes. We'd set up a portable studio there at his place, set up some down sound, sound deadening panels and uh, get set up. And so um, we, we've, so we'd be sitting around shorts and t-shirts and Shirley be making us lemonade. And it was, it was, just, it was incredible. <laughs> we'd break for lunch, turn the AC back on and then break for dinner and, uh, go out. It's just the four of us. And there was one night where we went to this Mexican restaurant and after we were done eating, we were going to go meet at a frozen yogurt place. And I peeled off to go to the restroom. And when I walked out, Doc and Shirley were about six feet in front of me and they were holding hands. Here's a couple that had been married 48, 49 years, uh, 47 or 48 years at the time. And I saw the way in which they walked it out. Yeah. It, 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 I saw the way in which Doc would stop everything for a call from Shirley, Danae, or Ryan. And mm -hmm. it was just, it, he's an incredible human being. I love him to death. Mm. He set the bar pretty high. Yeah. So in 2010, when, or actually 2009, at the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, when Focus finished that leadership transition, Doc said, I'm going to pop up somewhere on radio. I don't know where, I don't know when. After we got done recording that broadcast where he announced that he was going to be stepping down from focus, I turned my attention, as it was shutting down the studio, I turned my attention to the computer. I typed him an email. Hey, Doc, I've loved working for you the last 12 and a half years. You want to start something new. I have dreams of doing bigger things than just studio recordings. Two weeks later, he called and he offered me a position and I was the second employee he hired to help build Family Talk. And uh, it was the largest rollout in radio history is what our marketing company said. And so we launched it on almost 800 stations. And so, um, yeah, it was during that Family Talk time that I met you. Uh, yes. But the money never really came in. I was doing two daily radio broadcasts with half the staff I had to focus to do one and it was just burning me out. Yeah. And yeah. It really, it, it, there were three of us that left Focus to go help start Family Talk. The broadcasting it was me, Christine Gibson, and uh, Luann Crane. And within a year, within a year of me leaving, Luann and Christine had both left because it was just it was the, the workload. We couldn't step back from the workload and figure out how do we get this with the team that we have because we were doing things the Focus way. Right. And so um, from there, I 
kind of just recovered from my burnout and created my business, Right Turn Media, which is audio production. We handle podcasts, radio, and audiobooks. I've got a team of uh, freelancers who work for me around the globe. And yeah, but uh, for my wife, Elizabeth, shortly after we got married, she started exhibiting autoimmune symptoms. And about two and a half years in, she was diagnosed, officially diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And um, her health was up and down over the course of our marriage. She would have these autoimmune flare-ups and it would take her down. But um, in 2014, she was diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension. She ended up in November of 2014 going into the hospital with a significantly enlarged heart that was failing congestively. And so uh, she bounced back from that, but the pH was essentially a death sentence. Um, the head of pulmonology came to me and he said, Steve, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but there's a very real possibility your wife won't be around to see her youngest graduate high school. Mm -hmm. Caleb was eight at the time, and he was basically saying the next 10 years she could be gone. Um, when, I went, when I recovered from that shock, I made the conscious decision that I was going to love my wife to the best of my ability every single day. So that way, if she was gone and something turned, I'd be able to look back at those years from that diagnosis to, to that day and be able to have no regrets. Mm. So um, at the beginning of COVID, uh, she thought she had COVID. It was actually March 12th. I had the 11th. I flew out to Wisconsin because I was going to go watch the boys high school basketball tournament. One of my college roommates was a head coach, undefeated team, number one seed in their, in their, dis, in their, in their division. They were on fire. They were, this is a team that 10 years earlier, Kurt had told me CB, my, my nickname in college was cool beans. And they call me CB He's <laughs> like CB. This is the team that I have a chance to win state with when these kids were in elementary school. And so I was super excited to go out there for that. But as soon as I landed, they made the determination that it was only immediate family that was going to be allowed at that sectional game. Ugh. And that night after, after Stratford had won, they canceled the boys tournament. NCAA canceled the men's and women's basketball tournaments. And this is March of 2020, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. Correct. So this is when everything is happening. The NBA mm -hmm. postponed their season right around that time. And then on that Friday night, Elizabeth called me and she was like, I need you to come back. I think I have COVID. Mm -hmm. So I, so I, I got a plane ticket. Flew from Milwaukee back to Denver. A friend drove me down. I got home. That Monday, Elizabeth got tested. When that result came back, it was negative. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she's negative. Well, her doctor wouldn't see her in person. They had locked down and uh, were only doing virtual visits. Right, because that's but, helpful. But, well, well we, <laughs> we, 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 had, we, had all, we had the necessary medical equipment to really be able to monitor her situation mm -hmm. if it was COVID. Mm-hmm. But and because the tests early on had such a false high, such a high false negative rate mm -hmm. that they still thought it could be COVID because I was exhibiting symptoms at this point. And so they thought, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, it's got to be COVID. We had a pulse oximeter. We had an oxygen condenser. We had heart, heart, uh, blood pressure, cuff. Mm -hmm. We had just so everything So you had what you needed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we were able to mo monitor her pulse ox numbers consistently throughout the day. She was up and down over the course of those next six weeks, seven weeks. Um, but on the morning of April 28th, 2020, she woke up at about three in the morning throwing up. 
Mm. And after about two and a half hours of her throwing up, not even able to keep a sip of Gatorade down, we knew it was time for her to go to the hospital. And so Mm -hmm. she called the ambulance. They picked her up, took her down to Memorial here in Colorado Springs. And then she was quickly transferred up to University of Colorado. Now, she did not have COVID at this point. Correct. 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 So she got tested in March and then she got tested as soon as she got to Memorial. That quickly came back negative. I went and got tested that morning as well. And my negative came back a day or two later. Mm -hmm. And so um, she was transferred up to Anschutz up in Aurora, Colorado, the Denver, a suburb of Denver on the east side. And uh, so I figured, okay, I'm negative. She's negative. I'm going to be able to get in. Mm -hmm. No. Um, It wasn't COVID. It was double pneumonia and a blood infection, which you cannot diagnose over virtual visits. Right. So, um, yeah. So that first night that she spent there at Anschutz the next morning, we had had a phone call and she said, Steve, I genuinely thought I was going to choke to death on my own phlegm. Mm. So I called the hospital and I'm like, can I get an exception? I'm COVID negative. She's COVID negative. No, but I have personal protective equipment. Uh, your, your staff has trained me on how to be, you know, sanitary and how to reduce infection risk. And I've reduced the infection risk by more than two thirds. Mm-hmm. This was only her second infection in the five years, uh, five and a half years since she had been diagnosed. And it was mm-hmm. again, a no. I'll abide by any any restrictions that you have for me. I'll be quarantined to her room. I have to be escorted back and forth. If I'm caught without a mask, I'll I'll mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll voluntarily leave. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I'll pay your hospital markup rates for a freaking hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. I'll pay ten thousand dollars. Let me see my wife. Mm-hmm. No. So I tried to, I have a friend that told me to call uh, the CEO of University of Colorado Hospital. I had a friend, he also told me to call the head of nursing and told me to call the CEO of UC Health, uh, Elizabeth Concordia. None of them would take my calls. And it was that point that that I started to, I have a friend of mine, Gary Schneeberger, who used to be the VP of public relations at Focus. He sent a blast out to 750 reporters. I got a bunch of bites, got some news reports, some articles written. And uh, so, yeah, my, my, I was on a full court press. Yeah. You're trying to put pressure on them. Yes. Because you want to see your wife and she'd been in the hospital before and you guys had been with her. Right. So you knew it was important that you were there. You wanted to talk to her, to encourage her, rub her feet, you know, tell her not to give up all the things. When she was in, in 2014 for the two. So she actually spent five weeks in 2014 at university of Colorado hospital, five weeks, two weeks in the beginning with a massive lupus flare up. That was undiagnosed, that was misdiagnosed because the blood marker showed the lupus was in remission. So they thought, Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's hormonal. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Well, eventually she declined to the point where she was 86 pounds. Oh my God. She was bedridden. And I had to help get her out of bed. I had to help get her into the shower. I had to help get her to the bathroom. I had to help, you know, just, she was bedridden. Yeah. So finally she <clears throat> just went to the hospital and uh, they admitted her and they were like, ah, even though lupus looks like it's in remission, let's treat it like lupus and see what happens. They hit her with some prednisone and sure enough, and with six hours, she was getting up by herself, going to the bathroom by herself. She recovered from that so quickly 
that some undiagnosed pulmonary hypertension rage and her heart went from perfect in March of 2014 to significantly enlarged failing congestively in mm -hmm. November. And when she was admitted, that first day that I got up there, her doctor, Dr. Todd Bull, pulled me aside and he was like, Steve, this is really an end of life kind of situation. That's how grave it is. And but we were there 24 seven, I'd be there two or three days, her mom would be there one or two, and we do this rotation. And my mom flew out to watch the boys. So that way we could really just manage this rotation well. And, uh, and yeah, she wasn't I, alone. That was the point. Exactly, exactly. We were able to rub her feet, able to rub her shoulders, able to mm -hmm. rub her lower back, able to give her the physical touch that she needed, able mm -hmm. to encourage her, pray over her, speak life over her, cast mm -hmm. a vision for our future. Mm -hmm. able to bring the boys up and that way she'd be able to get that love and attention from the boys. That's what pulled her out. Yeah. Study after study after study shows the importance of physical touch in the healing process, mm -hmm. the importance of strong social connections in the healing process and shows the detriment of isolation of loneliness. Yeah. Loneliness increases mortality depending on the study 26 plus percent. The lowest number I've seen is 26%. For older Americans that are lonely, they are two times more likely to die early mm. than ones with strong social connections. Isolation kills. Yep. And it's wrong. It's morally wrong to completely and totally isolate patients there at the hospital, mm. especially the ones that cannot advocate for themselves the ones that are unconscious, the ones that are incapacitated, the ones that are tired like Elizabeth was mm -hmm. and not able to ask those deeper questions. Mm -hmm. The last week of my wife's life, she complained about lower back pain, Heidi. And I kept telling her, I said, babe, as soon as I get in there, I'm going to rub your lower back. I'll bring the massage gun and I'll, I'll hit your lower back and we'll, you know, I'll make sure to hit your glutes and your IT bands and just, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll give you that attention that you need. Mm. Heidi, it was kidney stones, oh. undiagnosed kidney stones that she suffered from because I, I don't, I don't blame the nurses. I don't blame the doctors. They're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. They had so much on their plate. It's not their job to be the advocate. It's not their job to be the caregiver. It's not their job to do that kind of stuff. That's mm -hmm. the, that's the role of the, of the loved ones. That's the role yeah. of the, of the advocates. Yep. So she was in there three weeks. I got ahead of myself, but she was in there three weeks. I was never once allowed in. And, uh, um, she was actually moved about halfway in. She was moved into ICU with bleeding in one of her lungs. And they told and me don't she's come up. young. 40. She was she was only 40 years old. So 40. yeah. Yeah. So she was up and down, and uh, because she had bleeding in one of her lungs and because she had pulmonary hypertension, she was on because she was on blood thinners because of the pulmonary hypertension, they had to give her coagulants, and there was a there was a significant risk of a blood clot. And they were scanning her like crazy, watching her like a hawk. We had people praying for her. And uh, at one point they found a mass in her heart that they were, that they thought would be a significant clot. They started targeting it and then they couldn't find it. So we thought we were in the clear. And uh, on May 19th at about three in the three in the afternoon, we had a phone call three or four in the afternoon. We had a FaceTime call and uh, um, talking about that. She was get, getting 
prepped to be released and sent home either the 20th, 21st, or 22nd. And it was looking like it was going to be Wednesday, the 20th of May, 2020. So we had this phone call where we were like, okay, what do you want for, for, you know, meals? What do you, what do you, we'll, we'll order out some food. What restaurants do you want us to get? Okay. This friend is going to come over this day. Your mom's going to come over this day and give you a massage because your mom's a massage therapist. And this friend's going to come over this day. We were trying to stagger things out because she knew that she, we knew that she was still recovering and knew she needed strength. But we, so we wanted to kind of stagger the people that would see her. And uh, we were kind of talking about all of that. Hung up, great conversation, hung up. 30 minutes later, I got a call from the hospital and I'm like, oh, cool. All right, perfect. Maybe they're releasing her tonight. Maybe it's you know, let, letting me know to get to come up because they're releasing her tonight. Instead, it was a nurse that told me my wife had gone into cardiac arrest and they needed me to get up there now. It's an hour and a half for me to get up to uh, UCH. I'm down in Colorado Springs. It's up in the Denver area. I immediately jumped up, looked at the boys and my mom, and I said, start praying your mother's gone into cardiac arrest. Jumped in her vehicle, headed up. About one third of the way up, I called. And they said they were still doing chest compressions. Mm. And I knew at that point she wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. I called as soon as I got to the Denver Tech Center, which is kind of the south Denver area, Greenwood Village. That's when Dr. Bull got on the phone and he told me, I'm sorry, Steve, she didn't make it. A friend of mine met me there at the hospital, John Ramstead. He's a former Navy fighter pilot, orders to go to Top Gun, softball injury derailed that career. Entrepreneur, really successful financial advisor, I met him at a family talk donor event. He was thrown from his horse into a steel fence and nearly killed. Mm. And uh, the most horrific thing I've ever seen, I watched him come come through that TBI, that traumatic brain injury. We became super close friends. John met me there at the hospital and uh, waited there, um, there at the ER waiting for someone to take me up to her room and I thought it was just, you know, seven, eight minutes. John thinks it was more like 20 minutes that we were waiting there. Mm. And I finally just blew up. And I cussed like I haven't cussed in my life. Mm-hmm. You, I just, I absolutely blew a gasket. You mother effers mm-hmm. kept me away from my wife for 21 days. And now she's up in her room, dead, growing cold. And you're still making me wait. F you, F you, F this place. Mm. All of a sudden, someone's a security guard's there. Oh, sir, I'll take you up. Where were you 20 minutes ago? Right. They take me up to her room. And I wept like I haven't wept in my entire life. It came from such a guttural place. From the depths of my spirit, my soul. Kissed her goodbye one last time. Got her stuff. The chaplain was escorting John and I out. And on the walkout, came down these elevators on the west side. If anyone's ever been to UC University of Colorado Hospital, there are elevators on the west side of the hospital. And there's a corridor that heads east towards 
the main entrance and past that are the doctor offices and oncology and another cafeteria. For 21 days, I was told that the reason that they wouldn't let me in is because they had the most COVID patients in the entire state. Heidi, on the walk out, it didn't strike me. It didn't hit me until about two in the morning because I was in such shock. But on the walk out, more than half of the doctors, nurses, staff, freaking janitors were not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. If this was really, really that dangerous and this hospital had the most COVID patients, why mm -hmm. weren't they wearing masks? Every single second that they were there at the hospital, why? I have yet to receive an, an acceptable explanation. The head of infectious disease, Dr. Michelle Barron, who was the one that denied my last request to get in, she inserted her case. She inserted herself. The head of infectious disease inserted herself on Elizabeth's case after I started squawking to the media. I felt she came in like good cop to try and get me to quiet down. I texted her. I said, Elizabeth had a, they, they had changed, exchanged cell phone numbers and I got the phone number. Snuck into Elizabeth's computer and got the phone number so I could text her myself. I said, please let me in. And she said, no, it was a complete, it was, it was the reply was completely a lawyer speak. It was run by a lawyer, I'm sure. And, and mm. cold. Dr. Michelle Barron told my mother-in-law she wouldn't take a call from me after Elizabeth died, but she would take a call from Elizabeth's mom. And she told my mother-in-law that, that the cafeteria is a common area and they didn't have any control over who wore masks and who didn't in the common areas, which I say, bull freaking crap. I hope you guys are enjoying this interview with my friend, Steve Ryder. Uh, I told you at the onset, this is going to be a tough conversation, and it certainly has been. Tomorrow, we're going to come back and finish the conversation. And uh, Steve is going to encourage you, if you are a parent who has lost a spouse and you have children at home, to really get involved into grief counseling. Uh, many organizations such as Grief Care are doing those kinds of things right now, and they're doing them with excellence. And so uh, while this is a difficult topic, uh, and I think, you know, some for some of us, uh, hits very, very close to home. Uh, I hope that you can see that the Lord is still at work and we want you guys to be encouraged through all of it. The Bible says that we're to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And in the country right now and around the world, a lot of people are struggling. So if you know someone who's struggling, uh, even as raw as this interview is, I hope that you'll share it with them. If you guys want information uh, on Steve Ryder and the organization that he has founded so that this never happens to anyone again, the Never Alone Project can be found at neveralonepandemic.org. Thanks for listening today, everybody. And I will air part two of my interview with Steve Ryder tomorrow. For more encouragement, visit me online at momstronginternational.com. <laughs>